Darren Harris, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, Joe. How are you? You are a lecturer in a fine college, which we'll ask you all about the college. You're also a trusted advisor and an expert in the food industry. And um, one of the questions which I want to ask you is, why did you get into this industry? Where are you seeing the industry going? Okay, great. Thanks very much, Joe. So um, just just for the clarity, uh, it's a university these days. We've moved up in the Pegans. Uh, it was a college historically, so you're absolutely right there. So it's Technological University Dublin and Grange Gorman. I'm a lecturer in culinary arts. I'm former bakery program chair and the honours degree baker. I'm in charge of the honours degree a bakery program. Just for context, when I get into the food industry, I suppose fundamentally you can never force somebody to eat something they didn't want to eat. I like the honesty of it. I like the fact that you could kind of be yourself. I also liked the fact that, you know, it, it, it allowed for creative thinking as well, you know, and a lot of different diverse kind of personality styles. So how I kind of got into this particular scenario was um, I have had a kind of a cross-discipline view between bakers and chefs, and also my master's has really helped me understand operationally some of the challenges that industry is facing so i think there's a lot of big exciting opportunities ahead but industry needs to get ahead of them pretty quickly food will attract anybody anywhere and i think it's a passion of the irish as well we do like eating and i think it's it's it has completely evolved from the time when you and me were living in the 80s when food was very much different i think one of the the first greatest um, expectations that I had at a young age myself as a, in bakery was when the French stick arrived. The trusty but, French stick, it was a monumental change in the sensory experiences for the Irish. Yeah. It was indeed. The industry itself is about 13 billion when it comes to exports. It is, it is in every county in Ireland, there is someone doing something to create a produce for them to either retail or to sell into the industry so with that there are so many opportunities that i think a lot of small and large organizations aren't aware of absolutely massive you know without even sort of going down the tourism product or the experiential product route but I suppose, you know, there's a massive drive, obviously, for kind of local produce, local consumption, you know, like reducing the food miles, heirloom varieties in relation to products, you know, dietary concerns. Like the days, as you rightly pointed out, of, you know, the meat and two veg or the plain Jane foods are well behind us. And we're all into bespoke nutrition or power users or even people that have special dietary concerns or have special dietary uh, preferences, believing that they have a health issue, it's incredible. So there's so many opportunities. Like It's Pandora's box of flavor and, and, and experiences has been opened. And we're actually now at a point, Joe, I'd nearly say to you that we've become hyper-stimulated. So we're actually always on the lookout for the next new thing, the next new experience. And that really opens a lot of opportunities around new product development and R&D, and even just, you know, healthier lifestyles, you know, making products fit people's lifestyles as opposed to people using food just for energy to get through the day. So it's an incredible time to be working in the food industry. You mentioned their development and you're looking about R&D. 
is this something that a lot of companies aren't aware of what the f- true potential of it has to offer, especially when it comes around to grants and government assistance? Absolutely. It, like, it, it boggles my mind. Just to give context, you know, we can kind of, when we're involved in product development, you know, you're at the cold face, you're emotionally involved with the product, you're passionate about it. You want to make it work, you know, and, and we're so busy in this country building the emotional connections with our suppliers and our customers. We often forget that we actually are the, the scientists, you know, that we're making this recipe work. You can't find the answer in a book, you can't find it from your competition, you can't find it from your ingredient supplier or your buyer. And so you're actually doing what they call R&D, which is research and development. And it's not the white coat, Zanussi, appliance science R&D or the NASA science. It's brown coat R&D. It's people are actually involved in trying to make products process stable, safe to eat, more nutritious, healthier, leaner, or increased shelf life, you know, or to use a new bespoke ingredient that's causing some issues. So there's, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And what we're trying to do is just get people to back away from what they're doing Take another look and understand that they're using scientific or technological principles and there's a massive amount of support, but they just need a little bit of planning to get ahead of the process. And once they do, an R&D product or project will run like cream for them. The world is exploding at the moment with AI, uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning, as we like to call it. One thing with with R&D and with the, the food industry is, you know, it's really about intellectual property it's about experience and knowledge and testing that and software can't tell you if something is going to be palatable to people and the only way you can find out if a product is good is about doing or putting in a lot of time into R&D testing it and then seeing if that then is something that is deliverable to market what are the key factors when it comes to development and R&D? Like, is there X amount of touch points that needs to be hit before then it's acceptable as a grant or, or getting funding? Yeah, I'd say the first, loads, there's loads. But, you know, I, I think fundamentally it's down to the human element, right? You know, you need to change your perspective from going into a workplace where you produce food to actually changing it into almost like a lab, you know, like you're entering a lab and you need to control the variables. You need to control the inputs, the stuff that goes into the Petri dish, call it your production line, whatever it is. And you need to produce it in a certain way. And you can t- kind of take that for granted when you're doing it, because this is what we've always done the specific way. And now we need to tweak it. But fundamentally, is it a new innovation in your discipline? Is it new knowledge in your field? Would your competitors have found it valuable you know, if they had to try and design a similar product, you know, would they have got, had to go through the same processes around testing? Um, if they had to design a product that were given a similar brief by your competitor? If the answer is yes, you're doing R&D, but quite often we're just too focused on solving the problems in the day-to-day. So get back to your points there. It's a human perception issue. That's the first thing. And when you start looking at it that way and you can bounce ideas off a pair, then you start actually exploding out all the opportunities for variables in the process from a machine point of view, from something that you can control, like it degrees in temperature or energy into a mixer or, you know, oven changes or cooler changes or product dimension changes. Once your data 
the numbers, the qualitative explanations as well. Once you can capture that and it can go into the ingredient or product specification that you identify with your customer as a quality contract, you can argue that's new information that was critical for the R&D of the product, right? But you need to have certain specific language. If you say the trial went crap, for example, pardon me, French, you know, that's not going to be scientific. But if you say the trial was a failure due to insufficient mixing, which means that, and you can map that out into a proper sentence, you're speaking like a scientist. And that's really a key point of all this for people to get their head around. So it's like stress test. Yeah. What have you seen in your experience over the years that made small things that had made great changes when you were looking at the process of a product? And so I suppose we're back to the human element here again, right? It's actually to map out with individuals the cause and effect relationships between what happens if you do something deliberately wrong. Too often in industry, we're focused on getting everything right every time. Right. And when that happens, you don't actually learn anything. Right. I'm not saying to you, I would certainly am not preaching making waste and, you know, a priority in an, in an industry, but just taking half a day out with your key staff, right. And your key staff that surround the R&D staff as well to understand what can go wrong, what wrong looks like and how to fix it. That in and of itself would actually have a massive payback because then everybody becomes involved in quality. They don't get to divest themselves in the process. And also you've got extra eyes and ears, which in a busy manufacturing environment is, is massive. That, the payback on that is immediate, by the way, okay? Because, you know, you can then have other people who can support your R&D lead or just a person who's involved in product development. Or better still, those people, when they're finished work and they go home and they look at products on the shelves, ideas start bubbling up with them in their subconscious mind about where the new opportunity is. And you quite often find those people are coming back in saying, I saw this yesterday. I think we can make this based on what I just learned. So there's a multiplier effect with, with taking that time out that hasn't been quantified in the industry. And I suppose I'm speaking with my educational hat on here as well, Joe. It's just about that investment and it comes back to many folds. It's incredible to see. So what's lacking? It's a resourcing issue. You know, the, the, it's a resourcing issue. You know, historically, I suppose the food industry had very high overheads over the last few years. It's had a lot of money tied up in stock because of, you know, we've seen massive increases in inflation. So a lot of companies decided to kind of hedge their bets and lock in quality contracts and price contracts at the start of the year. Unfortunately, some companies are, are paying for that now, if you pardon the pun. Uh, but when things stabilize again, okay, and they can renegotiate contracts, right, I, you know, I would actually put a bit of pressure on those companies, by the way, you know, because they are profiteering now, right? You know, your supplier should be able to work with you a little bit as well and ease out those costs over the next couple of years. You know, honor the contract, but just stretch the payment period, you know, just allow producers and manufacturers to get back on track. But anyway, I'm diverting here. But the key point is, is that historically businesses had a lot of money tied up in stock. You have a, you need to have a lot of stock on to make composite products that have like six, seven, eight, ten ingredients. And so what the, the logjam is resources, right? So this framework, this opportunity I'm speaking of, you know, R&D, it actually frees resources, financial resources in a business so they can operationalize some improvements. So this, this kind of opportunity pays for itself. It's cost neutral. It's actually beneficial in the same year it's activated. So there's no long-term planning required per se. You know, you don't need to kind of work out worst case scenario because pretty 
pretty quickly, I'll be able to tell you what the win is for the business. And then it's up to yourself whether you want to go with it. What about rules and regulations that need to be in place as well for the, the manufacturer and the consumer? Do they play a big part in this in this game as well of grants and development? Again, this is a monumental piece here. and We've got a lot of legislation that's coming down the pipe, so reducing fat, sugar, sodium. You've got other kind of ingredients as well that often have to be reformulated from a price point of view or maybe ethical concerns. You know, most people might have heard of palm oil, for example. Rainforests just get destroyed and palm oil, palm trees going up. There's a lot of kind of ethical as well as moral and legal implications that can drive R&D as well as new product development briefs as well as regulations around using certain types of packing machinery for example or more sustainable ways of baking if it just as a simple example so the the drive for R&D isn't just from a new product development process perspective it's actually what happens before ingredients even get on your site that can actually force the change onto you so you know R&D can be reactive proactive or responsive, right? And so there's a lot of different ways that R&D can affect the business, but it's just about mapping it out and having a plan in place and how you're going to drive a project. What's the value then? What is the value to the industry? Like what grants are available? What is stopping the average company going for the grant? Really, really interesting question, and it's one I've been kind of working on over the years. So there's, there's a couple of different aspects to it. So in relation to what funding is available, right, you've got the R&D tax credits, which is research and development tax credits, right? So that's 25% back of your time, money, energy, staff, raw materials, lab analysis, disposal costs, even equipment hire, transportation, in-store trials. So if you're trying to answer a scientific or technological uncertainty, that's 25% of those overall project costs on the uncertainty. So if you didn't go straight to full launch, you were obviously holding back or develop something, then you're probably doing R&D. So that's almost 40% of your development costs, right, to be written off, which is incredible when you think about it. For an industry that's operating on a margin, on a really tight margin at the moment, they're leaving a lot of money on the table. And so one of the other issues that has occurred um, over the years that I've seen, companies don't have the resources to go for grants that can be Enterprise Ireland grants. There's opportunities in relation to business improvement, but specifically about R&D grants with Enterprise Ireland. So you can go for the same tranche of money twice, once to get a grant and then with the residual from Enterprise Ireland and then with the residual, you can get a grant from um, R&D. So you can get a follow-up from with R&D tax credits. Uh, interesting enough, uh, the IDA also provides R&D grants as well. So if you're investing inwardly into Ireland's the IDA, there's also opportunities with Science Foundation Ireland to do um, more lab-based research as well. So there's a, once you know how to navigate the ecosystem, there's a lot of opportunities out there for the larger companies. And also there's grants available and supports available through your local enterprise office as well. So there's a massive support network, but the main issue is resourcing because the staff who can do the R&D grants and applications and tax credits, they're too busy, they're firefighting, they're trying to you know fix problems in real time and, uh, and they don't have the bandwidth to uh, write an R&D tax credit or a grant application. So that's where I've come in and that's where I've helped companies in the past. But that your expertise is actually coming in 
doing an evaluation with an organization, looking at all the key touch points and then being able to go and put pen to paper and write, help them write up that R&D application. Is that one of expertise that you can offer? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, and this goes back to the, at the start of the conversation, Joe, and I did a quick introduction that, you know, I'm coming from a, a culinary perspective and a bakery perspective and a scale-up perspective. So I suppose I can look at the operation and identify opportunities for improvement that may overlap with R&D. I can come in and, and bring in new ideas in relation to, um, you know, reformulation, you know, overcome challenges. So I'm not the consultant that comes in to complete a task. I'm, I'm, I'm the individual who comes in who has a passion for the industry and, and is genuinely understands how to resolve issues. And I come in asking questions that are pertinent, but also meaningful. You know, I, I don't need to be told how to find walk my way around the production line. I got that piece down. What I can do is I can I can come in and ask the probing questions as to why something is made that way and have they considered. And the have they considered is from my experience in other manufacturing environments, uh, not just bakery, I might add. So um, it, it's an extra set of eyes from a different discipline, if you want to look at it that way, Joe. Yeah, you're not the hard help. You're the expert that's coming in to solve a problem. Yeah, yeah. I suppose a trusted advisor, like a consigliere, if I can use that term, Joe, you know, but I'm, I'm one of the good guys. With the industry booming, what is the one of the main issues that you're finding or when you're speaking to people out there that they're concerned about as we roll into, you know, 2023, 2024 and so on? Yeah, so great question. So at the last major headcount of the value of the industry, the food industry, like, the, you know, overall was worth 27.6 billion, right? And as we alluded to as well, it's 13 billion for exports. So that's about 8, 9% of GDP give or take. So it's it's a massive industry. It used to be the sunset industry for Ireland, but now it's been recognized as our pillar indigenous industry. So what's the what's the issues, right? I suppose well we have a graying of the workforce, right? So the people who know how to do stuff, right? And you know, they're maybe getting ready to sort of shuffle off and retire and they've done their time, they've got their experience. So that's that's one piece. But also we have the the issues about how do you integrate the next generation of employees, right? They have very different kind of values and expectations, right? And how do you kind of marry them and make sure you're not losing any knowledge in between, right? So I suppose R&D and properly trained staff who know how to do R&D and know how to convey it and know how to communicate from that graying outgoing staff to the incoming new, new generation. If you can join the gaps in communication with those two groups, or if you can mentor people who aren't currently R&D as to how to do R&D, but understand that those people will understand the production lines, but they might be able to convey it in the report. If you can bring those people up on their progression journey, well, that sends a very positive uh, message to all employees of the company. We hire from within. We trust you, you know, on this journey. You're part of the team. And what's happening is right now in the food industry, it, it's it's having difficulty at times to attract talent, right? But I would suggest to you that that's just because it hasn't considered how it's positioning itself, you know, it hasn't made clear to the new employees what the future growth plans of professionally is going to be for the individual and also for the company. And that's why R&D is so important. If you have R&D at the center of your operation and it's the, it's the hub of the wheel rather than the periphery, 
what that does is it actually that sends a really clear message that we're future focused, we're innovation focused. We we move fast and we develop things well and we develop things quickly with a teamwork approach. That sends a very sort of positive message out to the marketplace and also amongst your staff as well. And I think historically the food industry got stuck in a little bit of a rut. And that's why I think the R&D tax credit regime can be such a game changer for the industry if it's actualized and viewed upon as the opportunity that it really is. It's a real eye opener and companies need to maybe stop and just have a look and go, okay, what are we missing? What is available to us? And maybe, you know, that's a conversation that a lot of organizations need to have internally. I was fundamentally do genuinely believe I, I love the, the honesty in the food industry. You know, you, you can't force somebody to buy something they didn't want, you know, and, Sometimes there can be a perception out there that the food industry isn't as exciting and, and dynamic as, as, it, as it really is, you know. And it's only sort of when you're inside and you're working with a great team that you can get it. But maybe this is just a message to people who are considering uh, careers or opportunities or thinking about looking at R&D, either from a practitioner perspective or looking at the R&D tax credits. It's a lot more dynamic and a lot more, ex- uh, you know, exciting and sociable and personable than you ever will really imagine. And the really, the essential thing is the network and build up a trusted network of peers that you can lean into. Because even though the, the food industry is eight, 9% of GDP, Ireland's the perfect size for the industry to collaborate. It really is a fantastic, like we all know somebody in the food industry or we all know professional contact you can reach out to. You won't be speaking about company secrets, but you will be, you know, supporting peers, right, in a non-confidential way, you know, to say, look, I've experienced something like that before. Have you considered X? And X could be a solution or putting you in contact with somebody who provides services in the industry. Fundamentally, the food industry is the right size that in this country we can help each other. It's our jewel in the crown. I have a lot of faith and a lot of passion for it. And I just think that people really need to appreciate what we have on our doorstep Food industry needs to increase productivity by globally by 60% in the next 50 years. Like 60% output needs to increase. That's a huge opportunity for Ireland to become a world leader in this. Not that we aren't, but to really advance it out in other jurisdictions. What's popping up in my mind is that you don't know what you don't know. And maybe there's organizations and companies out there in the food industry that have ideas, want to move them along, but the thoughts of going through the process has caused them greater pain internally than externally. And I think that's where you can come in and go, okay, let me tell you, let me tell you what, tell me what you need, tell me what's going on, and then you're able to go and help them. Absolutely, Joe. Absolutely. And I suppose just one thing that bubbled up when you were saying all that as well is, is that there has been a drive for, for, for lean manufacturing over the years, you know, kind of shave off a couple of percentages and operational inefficiencies. But that'll only get you so far. That lean mindset is, is effective. But at some point, it's actually a bit like, if we can use the term here, famine thinking. You know, you kind of get caught into margins as opposed to the, the what is possible, you know. And I suppose it's 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 both sides of the hemispheres of the brain nearly fight need to really need to fire up again. Yes, make sure we're doing it as well and as efficiently, efficiently and effectively as possible, but also encourage blue sky thinking where appropriate and lean into your contacts to see what you can collaborate on. I think that's absolutely essential in the years ahead. 
So tell me this, if someone wants to reach out to you, Darren, where can they locate you if they feel the need to use your services? Thanks very much, Joe. So I wear a couple of different hats. I have a TU Dublin lecturer role, but should you wish to engage with me in a professional capacity, Darren at unitedplates.ie or you can telephone me on 083-002-0250 and I'm always available to have a chat. LinkedIn as well, Darren Harris and it's Technological University Dublin and um, I have a big network there of people who work in the food industry and I often say if I'm not the person uh, who can help you immediately, I know the person who can. Brilliant. Darren, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate your time. Thanks to your listeners.